Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. For the Bobby Eaton Show, yeah. giving you information you'll want to know, speaking on issues affecting us all, and music for the soul. Yeah. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Hello, world. Good afternoon. Good evening. Hey, and welcome to the Bobby Eaton Show. This is where we tell our stories our way. That's the only way we know how to do it here in the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hope you tuned in. You can dial the number 646-716-5525. And don't forget to hit that one button. You know, tell a family member, tell a friend. Boy, do we have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about the divide between Tulsa police and African-American community, issues concerning the community, and we've got some heavyweights in the building. Uh, we we got Marcus Harper in the building, Dave Walker, Dean Finley. These are heavyweights within our community, and they're going to give us some insight of uh, what to do and what don't, what not to do, and some of the things and some of the past and some of the present. We're going to be talking it up. So, dollar number, 646 716-5525. Well, we want everybody to, don't forget about our live stream that we got going on right now. Uh, if you go to kbob899.com, again, kbob899.com, you can live stream and see us all on there, and you know, and we're 24-7 around the clock, around the globe, you know. We're just excited over here at Eden Media Services, located at 1533 North Norfolk, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, this is a community radio broadcast, and we do stuff for the community as well, and um, some of our affiliates and stuff that are connected to us are North Star Security, which Dean Finley runs, you know, we have the Juice Radio Show, and a variety of others that are over here at Eden Media Services, so we want you to go to our website, once again, KBOB. 899.com. Go to the website and look at all the shows we got going on and all the things we got happening in the community. So we want you to stay connected and do that. You know, that's a, that's a good thing. I enjoy it. You know, it gives me something to be proud of and to be able to serve the underserved people in our community. Well, anyway, um, oh, new magazine out. Uh, it's called the Tulsa Black Owned Business Guide. It got our brother, uh, uh, Baxter on the front cover, Negro Spiritual, that's what he calls himself. And if you get it, you can find a copy of various different places over here in North Tulsa. got some interesting um, articles and stuff off in there. So we want you to go check it out. Support Miss Angela Chambers, who is a publisher of that particular magazine right there. A uh, few shows we got going on. As some of you already know, we got the Valley Vale Morning Show. Still continuing, even after his uh, passing, they decided to continue on with his show. It starts at 7 a.m. every day, five days a week, Bellyville Morning Show, you know, and so you guys tune into that. Uh, today we had uh, the business hustle with uh, Charity Marcus and Tyrants Billings we were on, and so they're on Mondays, and uh, I get a free Tuesday, 
you know what I mean, to kind of like take off. But Wednesday, we got World One Development with Charles and Damali. Charles Harper and Damali Wilson come in here every Wednesday at 1 o'clock. They got a great show going on. I mean, I really enjoy their show as well. Thursday, we got Prima Donna. She's in here. Her and Jennifer Brown in here. Real talk. Uh, real life real talk. Let me correct myself right there. On Thursdays, uh, Friday is Funky Friday. You know, we leave that kind of open because when we can gather again, what we're going to do, and I'm telling all you guys right now in advance, we're going to gather at 6 p.m. every Friday when we're able to gather outside. We're going to have DJ out there, barbecue pit. You know, Marcus might stop by and give us a couple of little hints right there with his barbecue pit. You know what I mean? And uh, we're going to be playing you know, some dominoes, card games, and stick a volleyball net over there across the street where we play some volleyball and stuff like that. Give us something to do in our community. We're going to be doing that every Friday, Funky Friday. Saturdays, my show is from 12 to 2 p.m. Tuning in, and we do all the conscious information and stuff like that uh, for the community and for the people. And Sunday seems like uh, it will be a light day, but it's kind of a – well, I, don't let me skip over Saturday. Saturday, we got my show in Dale, Mr. Groove Taylor. If I didn't say his name, he'd be talking, hey, man, you didn't mention my name. But his show, 2 to 5 o'clock, he plays. Uh, the hits from the 70s, 80s, and 90s hits, you know, some 60s, he mix it up. Dale, Mr. Groove Taylor. And on Sundays, uh, ooh, let me back back up. See, I'm forgetting somebody. The Exchange with Latoya, Latoya and Joy, Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. Okay. All right, don't y'all beat me up behind it, though, because we tell our stories out here. Remember that. And on uh, Sundays, it's morning gospel with with Bishop uh, Melvin Cooper, 8 o'clock every Sunday morning, gospel up until about 2 o'clock. And then we got jazz on a Sunday with DMAC. He comes in here on Sunday. So that's the roster. So if you go to KBOB899.com, you can see a listing of all of those shows and time frames and things like that. You know, over here at Eaton Media Services, you know, where we serve the people. It's Black on Black Community Radio. And that's what we're doing right here. We're going to take a little break, and uh, we're going to come back with these phenomenal uh, men uh, of law enforcement. And we want you guys to, uh, you know, keep the beat. Beat goes on.
the pressure of the cases mm-hmm. that you get just the, the amount in Tulsa that you have, and you're always thinking about them, always thinking about those cases, and because you want justice for the people. And so that's a lot of pressure. When I wasn't on the police force anymore, I didn't know, but I was under a lot of stress. And then when I left, wow, it's like freedom. So I'm enjoying uh, what I do now yeah. because there's not all that pressure. And, you know, the public looking, uh, when you got a homicide, because I used to go with Derek Lewis, mm-hmm. he's a was uh, Tulsa Police a homicide, I would, go, I would go with him, and I could see the pressure. And, you know, you got people looking. A lot of people want to know what happened, and that's your job. Yeah. <laughs> mm, that's interesting right there. So when you come up on a case where somebody's been shot, you see these bodies, these dead bodies, man. You know, how do you deal with that mentally? Um, I mean, because I mean, if I walked upon a, a dead body just laying there, I mean, I know it would have a, a mental effect, you know. Uh, does it become a thing where you're just so used to seeing it and it becomes second nature? And okay, another dead body. I mean, it, it can never become second nature. You wouldn't be doing the job that we're doing mm-hmm. or they're doing at the present time. Uh, the thing that you have to remember is you are in a profession that has hired you to to do a job. Uh, Personally, you're just going to have to look at what you see the minute I take a minute and go away. And then if you're a God-like person, you say a prayer for the person, uh, you just ask for help, and and then you put your game face on and you go back to work. And that's, uh, you know, I I come from a sports background, so I like to use those analogies, mostly baseball. It's time to go to work and get the job done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about you, Marcus? It's, you know, you, you don't. Just, just like they said, you don't, you don't, um, you have a job to do. You know, you have a job to do at that point. And you come across a dead body. Now, me personally, I have, a, I have difficulty dealing with children, small children. There have been times when I've had to deal with infants. Okay, and um, long time ago, I was had had a chance to work in a, a child crisis unit, but my daughter was just born. I was like, couldn't do it. There's no way. There's no way I, I could perform in that job seeing things happen to small children when I have a small child at home. And so you, you, you have to have something outside of police work. You know, like they said, the strong support system, me, fire my grill up and start barbecue and start pillaging around the yard, mm-hmm. you know, or just, for you, huh? yeah, just pill around the yard. You know, I don't want to talk about what I do. Don't want to talk about what I saw. You know, I'm going to go out and do my job, but when I separate from it, I have to separate from it and just, you know, my wife gets on me all the time. She watched me in the backyard, and she and she tell me, "You just walk from one end of the yard to the other, uh-huh. and you didn't do anything. You've been doing this for thirty minutes." And I'm like, "Just leave me alone. I'm, mm-hmm. good. I'm good. I'm good." And so you just you just have to baby step away from it, separate from it. And uh, but but there are times when it just stacks up on you. You know that that's the reality of it. And so you know you got to have support systems inside the police department, and you got to have them. You know, outside too. You know, mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends. You great, know, great. That. Well, you know, me and Dean. You know, Dean. He's part of Eden Media Services over here. He's informing a lot about policing and what's going on. And we've talked a lot about the community. Now, what do you think are some of the disparities? You know, some of the things that's going on. What is the great divide between the Tulsa Police Force 
in the African-American community. I mean, because, for one, okay, let me, let me just be real and just talk about it, okay? African-Americans fear the police. Fear the police. Uh, whenever a police car pulls up behind them, they're afraid they're going to get stopped. When a police car pulls up on the side of them, they're, they're, they, they don't even want to look in the police officer's direction. Some of them see a police and they turn off on the side street in fear that something's going to happen, especially with what's been going on around in our country with uh, policemen shooting people and and stuff like that. I'm just telling you blank, point blank, for what the media portrays, some officers are being just just trigger happy and shooting African-Americans. So with that being said, a lot of people have the same. Now, I don't fear the police. I ain't scared of you guys. You know, you know what I mean? I'm just like, you know, I'm one of those soldiers who are going to have a conversation. I'm not going to get all nervous and stuff like that. But why do you think that a lot of African-Americans fear the police and there's not really a tight-knit relationship between police officers and the African-American community? Well, I think is, you know, you're comfortable around the people uh, you were raised with. And actually, you don't see a lot of black officers. And I think that's a problem. I, you know, I, t- I tell the mayor that all the time, that we need more black officers in the community so people can feel more safe. I think they do. When you see someone someone that looks like you, and I think that we're not we're not getting that. So that's not happening. Not Is it a recruitment effort? Would you say, Dave? Or what what would you say that uh uh you know, what's Well, I, I think you have to recruit to the department. Tulsa needs a, a bachelor's degree before you can even fit into an application. Mm-hmm. So also has to go outside uh, of of the community to to get applicants that are are black from what i understand um is that because of the fact that they're not actually applying within the community i don't know i don't know if that's the fact but but i think what happens is is policing is not a get rich place to be i mean it's a service and uh it's done well for me and it's done well for marcus and and Dean's retired from it, and uh, I, I, I think it's a great profession. Uh, but there are other places for young college kids to go. And it, making law enforcement today is not, uh, and I'm not black, so I don't know, but, you know, you're going to pay me 100000 to go into public relations? I would rather go there than get paid 50000 to become a cop, the way cops are being portrayed as what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to take some issue with blacks being afraid of cops behind them. When I was young, and even today, I don't like the cops being behind me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a, it's well, the same it's re- a, it's a, it's a physical reaction. Yeah, it's nothing that just got started. You know, it's well, been going on throughout that. generations. Yeah, when, mean, I was, when I was in high school, I didn't mm-hmm. like getting stopped. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's, it's just it's a fear. Uh, yeah, and I'm not going to say it's not different because I'm white, but it, but it is a difference. But, you know, in, in reality, I think to answer your question, in, in the black community, from what I found and when I went to St. Louis and talked to those folks there in the St. Louis Police Department and, and other cops in the area, when an officer rolls in on a predominantly black neighborhood, uh, it's not to say hi. 
and therefore there's the angst that goes up because somebody's going to jail or something's going to happen in that neighborhood. So if you're six years old and you see that, you're going to have that ingrained into you. And that's where I personally think we as a law enforcement profession can change a little bit of that perception. You know, you know, and I've talked to a few uh, police officers before, and I'm like, uh, if you don't know the community and you work in the community, then the community don't know you. And there's a certain code language that you might, okay, you're, we got North Tulsa, right? And you coming in from Broken Arrow to work in the community, you coming in from Bigsby and Owasso, and you every day you coming into the community, but you don't have a relationship with the community. You don't go to B.C. Franklin Park. You don't go around to Wanda Jays and eat. You don't know nobody over here. You ain't playing basketball at, at, at Lacey Park, you know, to get to know who's in the community. So there's a sacrifice right there that, that I feel like you must know the culture of different people in their communities. It's, if a police officer stops an African American, young African American male, and he says, "Hey man, what you stop me for?" All of a sudden, there's an attitude. You know, there's an attitude right there. Now he's grabbing his gun, thinking that something's getting ready to happen. Man, why you stop me, man? It may be just a cultural communication thing. But if they see Dean Finley or Marcus, That's right. who were working in the community all the time, getting hey, haircuts, getting haircuts, getting haircuts doing, doing stuff. Then it becomes a relationship. If I see Marcus Harper riding down the street, you know, or Dean Finley riding down the street, hey, what's going on, man? Beep, beep, beep. Or Upton even. Upton's over here. If I see see Upton, everybody know Upton because he's built a relationship with the community. You know, Bobby, you you remember Uh they were just barney because they were in the community. People knew them. Right. And the Andy Griffith show was based on his community. Mm -hmm. And you know, when the town drunk can come in and just go to the jail and somebody, <laughs> and so that's what I'm saying. When people know you, and I didn't have a problem here. I still got haircuts where I go. Mark, mm-hmm. I see Marcus. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have policemen who involved, involved. engage, then that's a difference. Mm-hmm. And they don't feel comfortable. But when they see you cooking, when they see you out, it's different. Like I said, like Andy Griffith, mm-hmm. it was based on people who Relation, knew him. Relationships. Right. Who knew him. Yeah. yeah. They it, were from the same community. Right. When, when you live in the community you place in, um, it, it, you have more vested interests in know. that community. It is the best way. You know, all of us are police officers, and we all live in Tulsa, and all of our kids go to the same schools or in the same school system. We are more interested in What's being taught in those schools? What's my kid learning? How's my kid performing in school? Okay, well, our kids are all in the same classroom. Well, my mentality is everybody else in that classroom are just like my kid. Also, I'm concerned about them also. And so you get that spillover. Like you said, you know, when when you have, you know, people who live way outside, you know, or they just may, people are just like country living. Okay, they don't want to live in the Olympics. That's fine. But you just have a different investment when you live in the community where you work. And when you know exactly. you know the community. Exactly. So is, is your mm-hmm. investment into the community or is your investment more into the organization? And that's where you, that's where that fine line gets drawn sometimes. I agree. 
Yeah. Is it invested in the organization? And, you know, I wasn't a big FOP guy, but that's an organization. And they have interests that not always line up with the community, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I got to think that coming from, I live in Tulsa, but when we're talking about uh, policing, probably in North Tulsa, most, when I came on, I graduated from the academy after only 12 weeks. I know some people are now going yeah. through 28 weeks and then 16 weeks, and then they booted us out in 16 weeks. So I was really green, even though I grew up in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You're, you, what you talk about the culture, um, even though I went to Riverview Gardens High School, which was pretty much, you know, 60-40, my friends were still white. I would say there was separation there. Yeah, I mean, I still knew that. When I graduated from the academy, all young officers had to go to a board. And only slots open were up north. So you you put your most inexperienced cop in an area of town where you need the most experience, probably the most ones that say, well, I pulled you over for a tag light, okay? And to answer the question, what'd you pull me over for? As, as opposed to getting an attitude with it, just say, you know, give me your license and then let's get on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, the experience is somewhere else. And we grew up, I grew up up in North Tulsa on the patrol division. And, and I don't need to live where I policed because I cared. Right. Yeah, right. Well, you have to have yeah. some concern for the community because yeah. if you don't have any concern for the community, then how do you expect the community to have some Absolutely. concern for right. you? Right. Absolutely. You know, and uh, there are officers over here of different uh, races who are concerned about yeah. the community. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, like I said, no I doubt. use Upton, for example. No doubt. Everybody knows Upton. He around, he goes over to Sweet Lisa's and stuff like that, right around the neighborhood, talk, 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 but everybody know him. You know what I mean? But we don't have a lot of that, you know what I mean, outside of today's officers like a Marcus Harper. You know, Marcus is like, he's like our uh, proud prince of uh, uh, the community right here when it comes to policing. Everybody know Marcus. And there are a few other officers, I'm not knocking them as well, who who really love their community. And uh, when you see things that happen right out here in the front of this studio, I was out here one day. And I saw a patrol unit stop a young man in his car, in his vehicle, right in front of here. And they get out of the car. And I, I sat back. So I grabbed my, camp, my my phone and I started filming it. Get out of the car. So he got out the car and they made him get on the back and put his hands on the back of the trunk, right? And they started searching his vehicle. You know, and, I, and for what I understand, you... You have have to ask, you know, they have to ask you if if you can search the vehicle or not. Am I correct? Most You know, so you, you know, it's at your, you know, your consent whether you can do that or not. So I guess he said, well, go ahead. They searched the vehicle and they were looking for drugs or whatever they were looking for. And he was on the back of that car, nervous and shaking. And then all of a sudden they came back. All right, you're free to go. And he got back in his car and drove off, you know. And then he know he noticed that I was over here filming, so he drove off. And I asked the officers, I said, "Man, why y'all stop this brother?" I went over there and talked because you know I'll do that. Mm-hmm. So why y'all stop him, man? And then you turn around and let him go. Well, we just suspected that he had some drugs on him. And I said, 
really? He said, yeah. So I said, man, y'all ain't right for doing that, but, you know, you're doing your job. You call yourself doing your job. So if your job entails that, you need to redo something, you know, mm-hmm. redo something different. And then they drove off, and then the guy came back. Well, they stopped, and he stopped by here. He said, man, do, them SOBs stopped me for no reason at all, man, and blah, blah. I was just going, and so and so and so. And I said, well, man, see what we're up against right here. You know, so now it puts in his mind something negative towards the police, something negative. So he goes and tells his boys and his friends, his mother and his father what just happened to him. Mm-hmm. A lot of African-American males have been incarcerated at one time or another, been to jail. I mean, five, uh, uh, seven out of ten <laughs> been to jail before, you know, and now it's a fear of young African-American males. Young teenagers, mothers are fearful because thinking of something's going to happen like the Terrence Crutcher murder. Mm-hmm. The Tukayibos murder, she shot him, hands up in the air, boom, boom. They fear that the, 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 the Trayvon Martins and the Michael Browns and, and all of these other instances that are taking place throughout our country. Young men, this is just a recent one that just happened about, about the brother jogging. Bang, 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 getting shot down. So there's a Massive fear of policemen. I hate to put it like that, but it's the truth. I'm speaking truths. A massive fear of the police force. So, how can we, this divide we have between the police department and our community, how can we rebuild and, 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 and assure that the community feels safe when we pay, we pay the salaries? Man, you correct, Bobby. It's it's you, you know I, I think a, a good start would be un, understanding history. You know, understanding um, you know wh- where policing you know originated. You right. know, in the right. South. You know, uh, if you look at some from the uh, um, slavery era, badges that were given to slave catchers resemble badges of police departments. Okay, the shield and and slave catching, uh, and and you're dealing with history, okay, and then you deal with a bunch of a bunch a lot of pushback uh, from those in the profession. Well, you know, uh, I wasn't born doing then, or you know, you're racist for thinking I'm a racist, or you know, um, I don't see things that way. Well. One of the big discussions that I have now, or a big argument that I had recently, a big discussion I had with a lot of policemen was, you know, you can't tell me how to feel as a black man when I see what I saw happen in Georgia or what I see in places around the country. You know, it's, you know, well, you shouldn't feel away because Candace Owens said this, and this is the way. Oh, come on now, God. you know, because Candace Owens said oh, it. Oh, Lord, you know, Candace it's, Owens. It's, and we get, we, and we get, you know, we get off get off subject real quick okay. talking about that but <laughs> that's another topic right but, but understanding history and 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 understanding you know people have a right to feel you know the way they feel don't tell me that my emotion is or my feelings are are caused by what i see in the media okay you know, when you, when you say seven out of, you know, seven, the number you gave, seven out of 10 males have gone to prison or been in jail or incarcerated. I have a bunch of professional friends get sued and booted every day and go to work downtown and different places around the city. 
they have negative encounters with the police also. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the reality is, man, 99 out of 100 of us are some damn good officers, some damn good people, mm-hmm. you know. And so recognizing history, recognizing that that people's biases one way or another are formed by their experiences and not necessarily what they see on television, I think would be be a big start, mm-hmm. a, a big start or trying to see it from my perspective or see it from a black man's perspective or even a white man's perspective. You know, I, you know, when an officer is true at heart and is a good person and is a good officer and he's out here because he has the interest of the community at heart, even though he lives in Broken Arrow or in Kiefer or wherever, you know, I don't know how he feels when someone calls him a racist and he doesn't have a racist bone in his body. I don't know. How, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that feeling. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, well, let me ask you this. Um, you guys been there 20 years, 25, 30 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is there racism at the police department here in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Are there racists on the force? Probably there's got to be course. there's got to be racists on the police sure. department. Sure. Okay, but, that's why but, I'm asking then, the questions. You know, I know this, but I mean, our, some of our people may not think, oh, there's all a good guy. All the police are just great. Well, They're fantastic. You know, you got some people who actually think that. But I believe that there's racism on the force. Yes, racism is part of the, the world. And right. Marcus well, is it correct. is part of the world. The, the way we, we get around that in the profession, and we have to change it today uh, because we're in a perfect position to do that as a profession, mm-hmm. uh, is educate. Right. And Marcus hit on that a little bit. You've hit it a little bit on the, the community and the family. Mm-hmm. Family is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do want to say one thing about the Terrence Crutcher thing. I don't want to get into it, but I, I'll call you to task on that because Marcus was there also. Um, there are things that, that went on that, that the public don't know to educate. We need to educate them. And part of the problem is is our police department don't allow you to speak because the, a police officer involves shooting. They say immediately, don't talk about it. Yeah, well, you know. Well, then what do you, what do you get? Yeah, I went to the trial for Terrence Crutcher. I was sitting out there uh, on those pews and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you were in there. I was in there you know, a bunch. A bunch of times. You came yeah. in there. I was in there a few times, too. I was able to get in there because I was supporting of the family and stuff like that. And I heard some things. And when the verdict was read, not guilty, it was devastating to everybody, to this community for Seeing and witnessing a guy get murdered. And then on top of that, what Tulsa ended up doing, said she couldn't work for the police force anymore. Right? So she went to Claremore, got her another job out there on that police force. Then they asked her to come back and do some training. The sheriff's department, I believe, or someone like that, training on, on issues of... And we're saying in our community, how can this all be... Is the police department partial, insensitive? Because when that man got shot and fell down on the ground, they comforted her. They went to her asking her if she was okay. Are you all right? You know, and and it was such a situation. It was just, I don't even know how you can just justify the shooting in the Terrence Crutcher murder. 
I don't even know how you could justify well, that. Let me answer that. You don't justify what occurred. You investigate what occurred. But it was it, obvious it, to the eye. To the it eye. was obvious to you. It was obvious to the world. Obvi- no, no. It's not obvious to me, Robbie. So I mean, okay, if you want to get okay. off on that, that's not true. Okay, but didn't you see him, Didn't you see her pull that gun and shoot that man? I've watched that video more times, times than anybody else yeah. in the world. So how do you justify you something like that? I'm not justifying what she did or what position she was in. When, I, when they filed charges on that, that was before the report was in. The report is over 350 pages long. They wanted me that, to get that report done in a week. That report that, was wrong. No, it's not wrong. It's what happened. I made the report. So okay. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Okay. I didn't write a – it's not an opinion. It's fact. What was the fact? Well, you know, I don't really want to get into that. But no, 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 no. Reason that's why we're talking right here. The road. Dave, why? Why I'm saying this is it's obvious to those who saw that video, which millions of people saw that video, that she pulled that trigger and shot him with his hands in the air. Well, so that's what I'm saying. You know, all the paper, all the paper, all the paperwork, and all of that technicality stuff, and all of that. It was just obvious that that man had his hands in the air and she shot him. There's a lot of injustice in the criminal justice system. And most of it is just theory. You're supposed to, everybody's supposed to be treated the same. Well, from my uh, perspective, that's not happening. Uh, Practical, no, Mm -hmm. that's not happening. Theory, Everybody's supposed to get justice. Well, a lot of people are not getting it. And because even here, if you have 300 people killed in a massacre, mm-hmm. where's the bodies? Have you investigated? Have you found them? Has anybody went to jail behind the Tulsa race riot or massacre? Has anybody stood trial? No. Has anybody went to jail? No. In, in Georgia, a man got killed. 70. Two days. Nobody's arrested. Is that justice? What about the victims? Mm-hmm. We, that's what we see. Right. That's what right. I see. And I'm right. in law enforcement. Right. And it's pitiful. Pitiful. When when you when you're involved, and I have to be real careful because I'm I'm just as much in the investigation as Dave is. And um but our role in working cases it, any case, say say that particular case, our job is to put together the facts of the case, okay? And and there's no right, there's no wrong. These are the facts of the case, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you, you know this. We put together the facts of the case. We present the case to the district attorney's office, okay? Okay. Then it's their job right. to take it from there. Lawyers. Okay. <laughs> And so, you know, that that's that Lord, and that's that and that's what we I mean that that's what we do is it's we do the best investigation that we can and for the facts of the case and mm-hmm. it's it's we have to draw it's it's a real fine line between get, getting into what you see on television or what station is saying, what that station is saying, but the facts are the facts and there's no changing of that. They are what they are. Then once they go to the district attorney's office, then, okay, let's go to trial. But, Marcus, what the police officers themselves say, the ones at the scene, 
sometimes I'm not saying they they're lying, but sometimes they lie. Oh, I've yeah. been I've been there. I've been at uh, scenes where when I looked at the report, it wasn't what you it saw. It wasn't what I saw. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to say we're just going by facts, well, who's facts? The victim is dead. Right. It's, it's, and, and see, and, and, they, and there we go. It's, it's the concept, a con, you know, context is that that's what we have to change. Absolutely. You know, that's why when that happened, I was off. I was, that was my day off. But as soon as I heard about it, beeline, like get there. Boy, because, like because, mm. because those investigators at that scene, those are my people. And they're my responsibility. Right. Okay. And so I'm there. Dave's guys, they're there working that. They're his responsibility. And so we're there to make sure that what you see is what that report says. It and reflects that, the report. It reflects the report. Okay. It reflects well, the investigation. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, even, I was even questioned about that on the stand. Hey, you're off, Dave. What are you doing there? Mm-hmm. Those are my people. I'm going to be there. Right. You know, because I'm responsible for what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, the bug mm-hmm. stops at me with me. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. Now, I oh. know, I know that Dave, I know both of these gentlemen, and I know they're good investigators. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I have been at scenes, and what I saw and what was in the report was not the same. Yeah. And that's that's all I was saying yeah, about yeah. what people yeah, yeah, saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Absolutely. know, after watching that right. that Terrence Crutcher video, what the people saw. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't uh, uh, edited or anything. Right. It was just what they saw. Right. And you that's know? why it was out there, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, was out there, there for everybody to see, and they saw it, and and, and make their opinion on that. Mm-hmm. And that's where we need to educate and make sure that that we understand that just. I mean, there's, there's no saying that was a good video. I mean, I wrote the, the report to the chief the next day saying we've got problems. We've got issues. This is ugly. We didn't go and render aid. You're absolutely right. We did not do it. Two minutes and 15 seconds it yeah. took for us to get there. Yeah. That, that's wrong. Another thing we did wrong is we turned around a witness. If you'll see, if you watch the whole thing to the end, we, we got a cop out there telling somebody to turn around and get out of there. Do you know who that person is today, Marcus? No, no. Either do I. I will guarantee you Terrence Crutcher's attorneys know who that witness is. And that's good. That's Mm -hmm. the way it should be. Mm -hmm. So there's somebody that saw it. There's also a lot of other people that saw it. So, you know, to say the report's wrong is hurtful to me, Bobby, because I put that report together and I know it's not wrong. Well, it's about, I'm going by what I saw. Right, absolutely. I'm not going by any pencil, no no reports, no ink pens, no paper. I'm going by what Bobby Eaton saw mm-hmm. on that video and what he heard, uh, it's a bad dude and all of this stuff, and what I saw and what I heard. And that man had his hands up in the air, and she decided to go ahead and pull that trigger. Bang! And that's what we saw. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what you saw. That's what we and, saw. And I'll disagree with the hands being up the whole time. But well, the hands were up or whatever. There was no defense. He had no gun, no weapons. He or didn't any, have a gun. I'll you know, no that. weapons or anything like that. And so he was just shot. But the know? education part of that I'm talking about is how do we deal with law enforcement when you're you're faced with a situation where if you park your car in the middle of a street and block traffic, 
and you are the owner of that car, you probably should talk to the police so we can get this thing resolved. So even if you don't, you shoot them? Well, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm I'm saying there's a lot of other things that could have occurred (laughs) on the law enforcement side. And on the, Mr. Crutcher's side. Right? So, I, but I don't want to get into. No, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna move out of that. But I had in, in that defense, I had to bring. We brought that topic up and got it in the conversation. But then you were saying what? <laughs> yeah, I think what uh, Dave said. Experience of the officer. Now, in my day, if I would have seen a guy park like that, and I would have seen his move, I can tell from the film he was high. Mm-hmm. But I would know because experience and i'm looking at him and i wouldn't need holding people call marcus let's go over there and get him mm-hmm. we're not gonna i'm not gonna stand back there i'm gonna get that car out of the way i'm gonna i'm gonna physically lay hands on him. now he may be beat up but he mm-hmm. won't be dead mm-hmm. so i think the experience like dave hit it i'm not agree to that dude, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> well yeah. you know what i'm saying okay. all okay. i'm saying is it yeah mm-hmm. is that the experience of the officer and his ability to assess what he's seen is important. And you get that by being out here, being out on the street, like Dave said, the most experienced officers are going to see that. Like I've arrested many people on PCP mm-hmm. and fought them physically, but they're alive. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. They're alive, huh? Well, look here. Let's go to the phone lines right quick. We got a caller right here that wants uh, area code 918-948. You're on the Bobby Eaton Show. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you right now. Hi. This is Dr. Tiffany Crutcher. How are you? Pretty good, Ms. Crutcher. How are you doing, Dr. Crutcher? I'm good. I'm. Thank you for the invite. Um, I'm sitting here with Reverend Joey and Leanna Crutcher listening to the show. Mm-hmm. And it's very painful, very uncomfortable to sit here and listen to, to this particular show. Um, first, let me just say to the, the officers, Dean Finley, Dave Walker, uh, Marcus Harper, thank you for speaking to the community. I really appreciate it. And um, thank you for this dialogue. We've been pushing for two and a half years to just get officers to talk just to have a conversation. I believe it's very important to have these conversations. So first, let me say thank you. Um, to get to, to, to the case, I was there the whole time and we can talk about facts, we can talk about what's right, what's wrong, uh, and we can talk about a whole lot of stuff. But for the first time in the history of Tulsa, Oklahoma, police officer was indicted type of thing. There was a lot of things that went wrong at that scene. Thank you, Dave Walker, for saying you turned the witness away. Thank you for saying that it was wrong that 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 agency didn't render aid. And there were a lot of other things that went wrong. An officer should have never been able to watch the video prior to making her first response or her first statement. That wouldn't have happened to me as a regular citizen. We all know that Betty Shelby should have never been a cop. We all know that she had a history of domestic violence, assault with a deadly weapon, restraining orders against her, but yet she was let in anyway. 
she became a TPD officer anyway. Got a lot of black people trying to apply and become an officer, and they go through so much credit checks, background checks. And this lady had a history of domestic violence and should have never been allowed to carry a gun. So you're right, Sergeant Walker. The community needs to be educated on these things. And when you talk about the investigation, that was wrong. Why was people turned away? So the facts were not there. In preliminaries, the DA stated that no one intended for this to go as far as it did. Hey, look at his background. He has a history. He has a rap sheet. He's a drug addict. He's a thug. Let's not waste any time on this particular person. That's what happened. But then when the DA stood his ground, oh, man, rushed to judgment. I've been around this country just like a lot of people have about Terrence's murder, and I've come across police officers in this state reaching out to me saying it was wrong. We would never hire her. Experts from across the country, police officers saying what happened to your brother was murder and we're sorry. She's a disgrace to law enforcement. And so the secret sauce is, gentlemen, it's for good officers to speak up when a wrong is done by your fellow officers. We are still grieving. We have yet to receive closure. And we all know that was a bad shoot. I've seen white person after white person, high Q, on PCP2, but they get to live. Betty Shelby admitted I felt he was high or having a mental breakdown and he was non-responsive. So you tell me how he could have complied if he was having a mental breakdown or if he was high. We don't shy away from the fact that Terrence had an addiction problem. And we fought and we paid for rehab and he has an addiction problem just like a lot of other Americans, white and black. But for some reason, people with black skin, addiction is criminalized. And for white people, it's a health care crisis. So let's really talk about this thing for what it is. And the facts are, there was a lot that went wrong with that investigation. So you can have facts and you can have an investigation that, that's done with integrity, or you can have an investigation where the facts are just shoddy. And so we know a whole lot. But I just had to get that out there because if we're going to educate, let's, let's, let's educate. Let's state the facts. And there is a such thing as right and wrong. And we're all going to have to be held account one day before we leave this earth. And me personally, I want to make sure. And you charged me up, Dave Walker, and you said, hey, be a part of the change that you want to see. And that's what I have done. I left my multiple six-figure career and came back home so I could be a part of the change that I want to see. And I have left no stone unturned. And I'm going to continue to be a beacon of light and hope for my community. I can't bring Terrence back, but I'm going to damn sure make sure that his little boy don't have the same fate. Mm. So oh. I'm going to stop right there. Thank you, Bobby, for, for this conversation again. I appreciate you all for coming on and having the courage yeah. to talk about it. But these conversations are so extremely important. 
They are an and we got to keep you. talking about it until we get it right. That's right. We got to keep. We can't continue to not talk about it, you know, and let it die. And I want to thank you for calling in and sharing that. I mean, that was heavy and that was deep, was, you right. know. And uh, our people need to know about it, you know, because for me, it was outright murder. Are you still there, Doctor Coulter? Yes, sir. I am. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is the first time I think I've spoke to you. I've seen you. You've always treated me with respect when we've been in the same building, and I appreciate that. And uh, for for your family, it, it's it, it hurts. I, I I I can't explain any more than that. And you have done exactly what I said in that uh, makeshift press conference. You have gotten busy. You have done what you're doing, and I appreciate that. Uh, I think it's changed. The, the rhetoric has changed just a little bit, and, and I think it's more conducive to uh, where you want to be and where law enforcement needs to get to. So um, I just want to tell you that uh, I'm watching, and, and I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much. We have so much more work to do, but it's going to continue to take conversations like these to to, to fix this and continue to, to, to work toward, you know, that, that police department that that, that they claim to be. We got a lot of work to do and uh, I'm here for it. And as I tell Marcus all the time and we, we joke, we only like each other when he's barbecuing and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but um, I told him I'm going to be a thorn and, and that's what accountability is all about. So again, thank you for this conversation. Thank you, Bobby, for your voice. And uh, well, you, we're going to sign off. Yes, we are. All right, take care, okay? And tell the family hello for me, okay? They're sitting right here listening. I will do. Thanks so much. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Bobby, I get upset sometimes when I see the police department say, well, people's not coming forward, and they're not telling us what's going on. But I've experienced telling, trying to get justice for people. And, you know, when you tell, and you're a police officer, they don't take too kindly to that. Now, mm-hmm. When you got the justice seekers trying to get justice and then they get you, if I'm getting punished and I'm on the police force, what about people who are not on the police force? Mm-hmm. They are afraid. They're afraid to come forth and talk. Policemen are afraid to come forth and talk. Fear of losing their jobs if they don't toe the line sometimes. So, I don't believe everything that officers say, and I and I'm one of the I'm pro police. I am, but I don't always believe everything that the officers say. No, right. I don't. Right. Mm-hmm. I think one of the mistakes we make too, Bobby, sometimes is as a profession is we try to convince you that you didn't see what you saw, <laughs> or we try to convince you that you shouldn't feel the way you feel. Right, and and, and that's what and that's where we get in, into. That's where it all gets messed up. Most whole things gets messed up. No, because you have every right to feel the way you feel. Exactly. Who am I to tell you you're wrong? Who am right. I to tell you right. that you're wrong for fulfilling what, you what I saw? Feel, huh? For what you saw, mm-hmm. you know, and then we start bringing up all the statistics and the numbers and right. the numbers say, and it's, no, wait a minute. You're Bobby. <laughs> This is what you saw. This is the way you feel. This is what a lot of people feel. Okay, a lot of people in the profession feel a certain way. 
you know, whether it be for or against, you know, it's, it's, but, but don't try to tell me because you're a black man or you're a white man or you're a white woman, black woman, that you should feel a certain way. Or I'm a policeman and it's like, man, I'm a human being too, you know? And so, you know, and and I think that's where we we start getting our signals crossed sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, hey, we're going to take a little break, a little pause for the calls, you know, refreshing up and come on back. Uh, I got to pay the bills and stuff like that. You're on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way, located at 1533 North Norfolk here in the heart of Black Wall Street. Uh, This is a community radio station, and we tell our stories our way. We'll be right back, so we want you guys to stick stick around, okay? I cut myself off, okay? All right. PNJ Publishing Incorporated announces a new book release, The Entrepreneurial Woman. The World is Your Playground by Angela K. Chambers, MBS. Available right now for pre-order at payhip.com slash B slash N B capital A capital C. The book release is set to hit June 1st, 2020. If you're ready to publish your book, visit us online at www.pnjpublishing.com. Unleash that book that's inside of you with PNJ Publishing. Everybody talking about you. Let's do it. Tune in with the groove on to Gail's The Groove Tape. Every Saturday from 2.30 to 5.30. You're in the zone. You're in the zone. The all-new community radio, 89.9 FM. Hey, this is Ralph Johnson, the Brooklyn Empire, and whenever I'm in Tulsa, I'm tuning in to KBOB 89.9 on the FS. Peace and black power. This is the Prince of Pan-Africanism, Dr. Umar Johnson. Whenever I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I'm listening to The Bobby Eaton Show, 89.9 FM KBOB, for news, information, and critical analysis. The Bobby Eaton Show, that's where Dr. Umar hangs out. What's up, everybody? This is Lester Troutman. It's Zab Troutman. And when we in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we always listen to Hello, Tulsa. This is Janetta Toll with Sunday Dinner and More by Janet, your weekend soul spot. Every Saturday and Sunday from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. We're located 531 East Apache in the historic Apache Circle Center. Of course, during these times, it's carry out only, but you can call 918-951-5143. That's Sunday Dinner and More by Janet. Advertise in the Tulsa Black Owned Business Guide. It's a monthly publication reaching all of Oklahoma and beyond, giving exclusive content about your business and many businesses that are connected to you. Full page and half pages are available. 
purchasing artwork are due on the 25th of each month. Visit us online right now at www.tulsabobn.com for more details. Or email us right now at tulsabobn at gmail.com for pricing. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, you're on the Bobby Eaton Show, where we tell our stories our way. KBOB 89.9 FM Local Tulsa. And also, if you want to live stream with us, you can go to our website and catch everything on a live video live stream. Uh, KBOB 899.com. Again, that's KBOB 899.com. And we have some great uh, men in the building today, uh, former Police officers Dean Finley and Dave Walker, and current police officer uh, Tulsa's own Marcus Harper, and we we've been talking about various different situations uh, as pertaining to the police force and the divide between the community and things like that. Now, what can we do to educate the police force? Can we have some classes, some cultural classes, or something like that? Uh, you know, to educate them about this particular culture in our community? We currently have have a uh, the cultural diversity training, a bias-based training, you know, that, that we go through on an annual basis. Um, but, you know, you can go into the class and come out of class the exact same way. Sometimes those Is classes, that a requirement or is that just it's, something it's, you no, take? It's, it's a requirement. And a lot the the, uh, the recruits that are coming out get a lot more training in, in that, type, that type of training when they're in the academy. Uh, this is a program we just implemented maybe a year and a half, two mm-hmm. years ago. Um, but I got a question for you about okay, that too. Okay. But but you know, like I said, and, and those discussions get heated. Mm-hmm. Last one I was in, we, we had a pretty heated mm-hmm. discussion mm-hmm. in that classroom. The younger guys, you know, believe it or not, the majority of officers out here they get it. They get it. You know, they out here doing really good work. They really engage with the community. They'll pull up and shoot back. You know, pull up and have a conversation with you a man-to-man conversation, you know, uh, just as quick as, you know, uh, they'll be out, you know, showing up to community events mm-hmm. and, and, and future Jared Uptons. Okay. Yeah. Jared. You know, yeah. Future Jared Uptons, uh, mm-hmm. that, that I hear of future Luke Flanagan's and Wes Anderson's. I mean, I can, Jennifer Murphy's, I can keep going on and on and on naming, you know, white officers and Hispanic officers and, and, uh, and male, female that are tra- out here doing that type of But who work. does the training? Who's doing the training? Are African-Americans training? Or is it coming from other races training them about African-American uh, culture? What is her name? She, she's a, she's a local. She's, she's a Tulsa. Uh, Kelly, I can't remember her last name. But mm-hmm. she she actually developed the training. Um, well, she and, developed and, the package yes. for it? Yes. And so so you have a, a, a wide variety of uh Officers, you know, Derek Alexander, uh, Daryl Ross, uh, Karen Tipler, and those are African American officers that are teaching it. Mark on a sword, his Hispanic officer, um, and so so you have, you know, officers, you know, fr- from multiple ethnicities that are instructors in that course. Okay, and so it, it's something that was developed here in Tulsa. Um, the uh, instructor who developed it, she's an African American female, you know, from Tulsa. And um, but 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 like I said, you know, if if you don't if you don't realize that you have biases that can project themselves, you know, uh, become explicit biases, you know, when you in the performance that you do this, then you kind of you know 
really spinning your wheels. Mm-hmm. And so, but but a lot of good work is being done, and I think we're talking a bit off air. Is that you know what we're doing is is we're planting seeds now, and and we can't get be naive to think that because I've been doing something for the last six months that now everything is all good and hunky dory. The, one of the examples that we gave was was Corey Green with Cajun Boy. I remember Corey. Yeah, when, Corey. When I was a rookie, Corey was a high school, a senior in high school. And I used to chase Corey up and down the hallways, <laughs> making him go to class, put him in the headlock a couple of times. He's a big kid, though. Mm-hmm. You know, I think probably some help. But um, but he probably didn't understand back then. But we have a relationship now because that seed that was planted back then when he was in high school has come to fruition now. You know, look at him now. And look at a lot of kids, you know, from Central High School back in, you know, 95, 96, 97, you know, but, doing some great things in this city. Uh-huh. You, you but know. you're making my point, Marcus, black officer in the school. Mm-hmm. When I was coming up, Manuel Dickens. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the school. You know, man. Yeah. Okay, that, that, that inspired me in high school that I wanted to be a police officer. Right. Because I was around black police right, officers right. who knew me, who said, my, hey, Finley, you need to get to school. You need to quit doing what you do, quit smoking dope. Mm-hmm. You need to get yourself together because mm-hmm. he was in my community. Yeah. If we Everybody don't have black man. officers yeah. in the community, yeah, guess right. what? You don't have uh, Cajun boys. Right. And, and let, me, let me try to jump in here real quick. Is, is what you're describing, what you're describing with Manny is parenting. Right? That's right. what you did. You took a, a high school kid and you parented him. Yeah. I don't think For today about eight hours can, after I don't day. think you can put a, a kid in high school now in a headlock and grab him. I know you're being rhetorical. <laughs> yeah. You didn't do yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Manny Dickens never laid a hand on anybody on that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where the difference is when in a, I don't think it's black or white. I think it's caring. Mm-hmm. When a kid knows that you care enough to put him in a headlock and take him to school and, and put him in a classroom. Or there, mm-hmm. when you parent your child to be respectful and, and to do the right thing, we're getting there. Right, right, um, right. Baseball teaches that, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. You you have to learn the rules. Mm-hmm. You have to to obey, and you have to shake the hand of your adversary after it's over. I, but, I also think that um, if you have police officers who are in the like a Manuel Dickens, everybody in this community knew who he was. Mm-hmm. He could. They could call Manuel for to break up a fight, and Manuel just get up and just, hey, y'all cut that out, and everybody just stop fighting. It was just a fight or domestic violence, and break it down. You had a whole lot of officers back in those days, like Manuel and uh, Herm Gallon, Herm Gallon, Meadows and stuff, and other people. It was a lot of them. Don't forget Bobby Busby. Busby, Busby. yeah, Yeah. Busby was one of them. They could just Dean Finley. You know what I mean? They could just calm down a situation without having to have all the drama and stuff go on because, you know, it was community connected. Now, days, our community is so divided, you don't even know know your neighbors and stuff nowadays. Right, so right. it's a little bit more friction. You can't speak, spank children in school no more. Mm-hmm. You can't discipline. You can't do this because they 911 you and stuff like that. So we have to get in the business of training up these kids and stuff. Some of these kids are from single parent families. There you go. That's you know what I'm saying? Right. And That's some right. of their some of their uh, uh, male figures are incarcerated, right. locked up. Right. They say 68 percent of the prison system across 
United States are African American males. Yes. You know, so if you, all the daddies is locked up, and the mom is just raised, raising a couple of boys by herself, and now all of a sudden he grows up to become a teenager and come become rebellious, then you got issues going on. Mm-hmm. And it causes a lot more crime in the community and a lot more things, especially in an underserved community that don't have uh, access to various different things, jobs, uh, you know, uh, good food and good health and stuff like that. So we have to educate. That's why I got this platform right here to put this word right. out, to talk and put it all out there so we can talk about these issues that some of us don't never talk about. And so you guys are in here right now as police officers. We want you to tell us where to go and what to do and what can we do to change the narrative to have a relationship rather than just have fear. You know, because there's a lot going on. People are shooting and killing us. You know what I mean? And they shooting and killing African-American men by the dozens, man. That's just a, it's becoming a way of life now. You know, every week or so, you're hearing about somebody shooting somebody for jogging, shooting somebody for the hands up in the air, shooting somebody for just reaching in their pocket, getting ready to show their ID. Eating ice cream at home. Eating ice cream at home. Man, this, I mean, it's, it's just going crazy. Right. So how do we build that relationship to where these kind of things won't take place in our community? I'm passionate about our community. And I want to see, I talk to the drug addicts walking the streets, the homeless people walking the streets. We have these conversations, and some of them even fear. Homeless man pushing a basket. I hope the police don't stop me. Come on, man. So what do we need to do here in Tulsa, Oklahoma? The mayor's been in here. I addressed it with Mm -hmm. the mayor of Tulsa. I think that Getting these police, recruiting out of the community is going to help. Marcus, you live in the community. Dean, you live in the community. You make a difference. Well, I mean, I like that idea of educating and getting, and I've got a program that says save the six-year-olds. Because at six years old, kids don't know a difference. Uh, They're kids. And so, and I know baseball, so I teach baseball of six-year-olds. And again, you know, we're not going to win anything, but you're, you're starting to learn. Yeah. You're starting to get, uh, you're, you're getting into the kit and you're starting to say, you got to go to school. You have to behave. You can't fight. You can't yell at your mother, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, we're, we're going to have to, if there's a single parent home, that's not an excuse. Keep the system going. Let's do something different about that. Dr. Crutcher has done something different. I mean, I got to applaud that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, as a law enforcement community, if midnight basketball would have worked, we'd be golden. We wouldn't be sitting in front of you right now because midnight basketball was around when I was a kid and I played in it. So it's, that's not it. And you, you're hitting on the community and and you have to, if you can't, uh, recruit from the community, the people that are going into the community have to buy in. Yep. And that's where the but they got to buy. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. you got to get in there. To buy have to in, do something. You know, they just can't come in strong arm and, and you know, I'm gonna well, do what I want to do. You know, without consulting the with the community. Huh? Like that. People because like they know each other. Yeah, but people for like, me to come in and, and grab a, a high school kid, well, I probably couldn't, by the neck and throw them around. 
that ain't going to wash because they don't know me. You're right. No, they're not but if I'm you. in there from the, when they're six years old teaching them where first base is, they know me. And then I can be a Manny Dickens, even though he's huge, right. <laughs> and, and say, sit down. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're hitting on it. Bobby, but we got to do the work. When yeah. you took me to Keith Reed's place, okay, Bobby, that yeah. was an education. Keith Reed is doing a phenomenal Keith job. Keith Reed is doing Keith something, Keith. and we should support Keith oh, Reed Community man. Center. Keith Reed, Ooh. he he's got he's a man, man. I know Keith from high school. Yes, sir. And when Keith speaks, I don't care. He had black kids, white kids, Hispanic, white. I mean, you know, mixed all up. Kind of, but Keith, he brought it to him, you know, and and he's uh he's being effective. His program is one of the programs that need to be implemented. Everywhere, everywhere, yeah, yeah. because the way he does that, he and he demands respect yes. from mm-hmm. children, and you know what I mean. Yes. There are consequences when you step out a right. line with him. You're going to get some consequences from the peers. You're right. From, he, he he makes it where when you're messing up, you want to their peers. Mm-hmm. They get you. The peers get you for disrespect. Mm-hmm. He makes sure that when we walk in there, when I don't care who you are, male, female, sir. Ma'am, we respect you. You you just know that they those kids do, and they, you're not towing the line. If they're not towing the line, he'll he'll say because there's strong discipline there. Strong discipline, you know, for kids mm-hmm. who who who've had who bad behavior. Out. Some of them yeah. have bad behavior, and they come into Keith Reed's program, and before they leave, man, they, they they're oh, changed yeah, they human beings, transformed all over. And it's just like you were saying with the six year old baseball. We got to train up our children when they're young, right. you know, right. when they, because once they get up in a certain age, they're lost. And if they don't have those natural values and respect and morals and things within them that have been taught and respect, like we did when we were coming up, you know, we had that. We I'm right. like, you had right. to have it when we was coming up. But these single parent moms sometimes don't know what to do. So they put their kids in sports. So they can be around the coach, you know, and some men and stuff like that, because they don't know how to raise a man, you know. So therefore, that's what we got to do. Have Reed Community Center. Like like Reed. You know what? We can't be afraid. Like Manuel was not afraid to come to McLean. He was over there all the time. Marcus was not afraid to go to Central. I work McLean and security as a police officer. But as black men, we cannot be afraid of our own kids. A lot of us, we just say, oh, well, those kids, they're going to do what they're going to No. We're going to demand our respect, too. Well, you know, I'm not afraid of seeing a, a black male with his hair braided or in an afro or mm-hmm. he's wearing what they say gang colors. He's a kid to me. Mm-hmm. When I look at him, he's a kid. When we worked in the schools, and it's, you know, crit, you know well, a couple of guys working like super secret assignments. I can't mention their name. Yeah, but, yeah. But, you know, there were non-black officers and we worked at Central and guess what? We would leave Central, go to squad meeting, and then go right back into the neighborhood where these kids lived because we all worked Northside and worked Baker right. Squad and worked Adam go. Squad. And so anything happened in school, we knew what was spilling over the street or something from the street to come over to the school. But just like with uh, with uh, Mr. Reed's uh, program and, and Dave's program, that we have to embrace everything really that's do. coming along, you know. And when when we talk about about single moms, 
you know, there's a help uncle, there's an uncle somewhere. Right. We gotta help them. There's, yeah, there's, yeah. there's an adult male cousin right. somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and these single moms out here are doing a phenomenal job. Yeah, they are. They're doing kids. the best that they can. Phenomenal job. Yeah. They need help. You know? But if yeah. they don't have a grand they don't have a grandpa or an uncle in their lives that helps them raise their child, then they're trying to do the best they can yeah. to mm-hmm. raise him right. as a young man. Right. right. But and, and what they've said, as as a department, we have to have a buy in. The right. people that are coming in the community, they right. have to buy into what is going on because right. all it takes, I can, we can come in here and they can have his program and keep him have his program and ding me doing something with North Star, I can be doing something with my stuff, and all it takes is one person to come in and one do something stupid one time and destroy, and destroy the whole thing. the whole thing that you've been doing, mm-hmm. you know. And and there's this perception out there that, you know, when officers do things like that, that everybody knows about it. No, everybody doesn't know about it. You know, if if, if I'm a bank robber and I'm a cop, I'm not telling Dave and Dean I'm going to go rob a bank, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't want them to tell on me, mm-hmm. you know, or be the one that's going to arrest me, you know. And so we just got to keep putting that work in. And that's what you it's going to take. And not you be, have to keep putting that work in. And not be afraid in. to put the work in. Exactly. You know, because, exactly. See, one thing about North Tulsa to me is, we always get depicted as a place. Ooh, don't go to North Side. You know, oh, it's bad over there. North Side is a gym. You know, you know, it and is. it's a gym. <laughs> it's it's a like gym. you yeah, only got what you got. Five percent of knuckleheads over here doing knucklehead work, yeah. but the other ninety-five percent of people are great people and good people. Day. You know, we got some nice homes over here too. Oh, really? We don't have yeah. we don't have uh, what I call uh, ghetto. We got some impoverished areas, right, right. but not ghetto like in other cities. Mm-hmm. They got tents and cardboard box houses and all that. We don't have that over here. You know, somebody moved here. I know some people moved here, and they ended up going to Comanche apartments, you know, over there and got them an apartment. And to them, that was luxury. They moved here from Chicago, you know what I mean? And that was luxury, gated community, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And grass cut and all that. For them, that was just nice. You know, for us, we look at it. Ugh, don't go over to Comanche. Don't go over to Vernon Manor. Don't stop over there. Them is bad areas, you know. And so we get depicted as such an eyesore. The mainstream media, every time they show something on the news, is something bad about North Tulsa. They don't come over and report on the Reed Community Center and pocket full of hope with Dr. Doc Shaw and, and the senior citizen place up here, Carver mm-hmm. Center and all that. They don't report on places like that. You don't get that out there. But somebody new moves to Tulsa, they say, don't go to North Tulsa. Don't go across them tracks over there. And they depict us as just a negative eyesore and bad people over here when it's not like that. It's not like that at all. That's why, once again, I set up this radio station so we can talk about these things and get this word out here. You guys start feeling good about yourself. North Tulsa is a beautiful place and a nice place to be. You know what I mean? People feel like they got to leave here, move out south, leave grandma's house. You know, they're going to leave grandma's house who left her a house and move out. Now you're moving out south, paying $700 to an apartment. And just because you needed a roof on grandma's house, you left it. Now the Hispanics come up in here and they say, ooh, they go in there and put the roof on, build it and and, and buy it at auction for two or $3,000 and move in it. Or some developers are going by a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So we got to get out that mindset of giving up our property. We got to get back into the Black Wall Street way of life when we spent right. our money amongst ourselves to build up our 
all right. other races do it. Right, right. They all right. do it. Everybody do it. White race do it. Asians do it. Hispanics Hispanic. do it. Why come we can't do it? Because we're consumers. We got stuff going out. Right. Stuff always going out. Money going out, 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 and not coming in. And then we live in uh, underserved community with bad foods. We don't have good health stuff. We, we we in family dollars and all kind of stuff over here. And systematically, gentrification is here in our community. We got Quick Trip moving in, Burger Kings, uh, Sonics, and all of them. They <laughs> sucking up everything out of the community. This Quick Trip up here at Pine and Pure is the number one Quick Trip. And I asked the general manager, I said, what are you going to do to give back to this community? Well, we got some programs that we're going to work on. And come on, man, give me a break. Give me a break. You ain't going to do a damn thing. You haven't been. You're just going to come in and suck it all up. And people are going to continue because, see, we're mentally conditioned to spend. We'll pay tax taxes out in other people's property and everything else out there. And we'll spend for that tax dollars. <laughs> You know, in their communities, rather than over here. Now, we won't support our own African American businesses like we need to. We'll pass by on the road. It's a conditioning of the mental mind. It's set up by the system, and the system is working, and it's developing and working just like that. So we got to get back there with the policemen. We got to get policemen in our community who understands, who really mentally understands the concept of African-Americans and culture. They got to understand that. Without that understanding, there won't be no relationship and things are going to get worse in the relationship. Let me try to just jump in real quick on a word that you said, that we talk about education. I would like to know how many people really know what gentrification is. Well, that's the thing. That's that's what I'm talking about, the education. Mm -hmm. I had to look it up when I started researching some of this stuff. I, I mean, I, I kept hearing it and didn't understand it. Yeah. Gentrification. So you're, you're saying that yes. like, it's a, like it's a terrible thing, and I'm going, I don't even know what the hell that is. Mm-hmm. But when I started researching this issue of, of the 400 years and, and the 1863 and 1964 and the families, you've hit it there. there. There are successful black people that have families that didn't have a dad in there. I know that for a fact. They mm-hmm. came out of Alabama and and they had a family there to say, go to mm-hmm. school, read the book, do this, do that. And, and so the community part you're talking about is missing in where you're, you're talking about. In some of these areas in North Tulsa, there is no community school. You know, you all don't go to the same educational elementary school, junior high, high school. Like, let's because get them playing great again. Their baseball field is a field. You know, you could graze cows on it because integration integrate there's never been integration i agree with you there's never been here in in tulsa oklahoma no integration they say oh yeah we're integrated now we're not integrated man we're segregated i mean it's like it's like when you really look at it's the tale of two cities i agree it is the tale of two cities north tulsa south tulsa that's two different places. But my neighbors go to Booker T. Washington. Yeah, but here's the thing about Booker T. Washington. I'm going to help you with that. <laughs> when I was coming out, Booker T. Washington was Booker right. T. Washington, where the com- it was the hub and the castle of the community. Mm-hmm. Booker T. was fed by Carver and Marion Anderson and everybody and all the elementary the schools, the uh, Bunch and, 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 and uh, Dunbar and all of them. They fed Booker T. It was 
proud. They say the proud of the great Southwest. That's what it said. Booger T, everybody. Booger T, Booger T, Booger T, Booger T. But when they destroyed Booger T and integration came in and they broke it down and they said, well, you can't go to Booger T even though you stay across the street exactly. right there. Right. You're going to have to right. go to Edison. You got to go to Rogers. You got to go to Mem- Memorial. They broke it you all broke up. up. They destroyed that. And what ended up happening is the whites said, well, our kids got to go to Booger T. We're going to invest in the educational process and build it up. We're going to get the best computers. We're going to get the best of the best. And because if our kids got to go there, it's going to, and we're, we're going to make it to where you have to have a certain grade average to even go there. And that's what happened. So it, it, it broke up the community. It caused man, I go up to, I was inducted into the Booger T Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, years, something like that ago. I go up to Booger T and I say, you don't recognize it. Huh? You don't recognize I don't recognize Booger T. I see Tulsa, Washington. There's a big difference. And when I go up there, I see uh, white kids in Mercedes Benzes, BMWs, all that coming over here to go to school, but going back to their prospective areas. You may see some jogging around on the jogging team in the neighborhood or something like that, but that's the extent of the relationship, other than just being at school at Booger T. Now you got all these African-American kids who go to school at McLean because McLean is like the New Day Booger T to me. You know what I mean? They go to McLean and they're out there and then, you know, it's like I go over to McLean and I hang out over there, talk to the principal, talk to people over there at the school. So the thing is about education. That's probably one of the most educating in the family, educating with the teachers, educating with the police officers, holding forums and stuff like that over here. It would be it wouldn't hurt the officers to have some forums at the Rudersfield Library, invite kids in the schools over there to have to talk to the gang members or something like that. Marvin Blaze was such a strong icon in this community because he understood it. He understood the uh, Dean, you know that. Yeah. You, you know that, uh, what, Dave. What I, y'all, what I Marcus, seen, Bobby, y'all know that. What, what I've seen with, with when I was there, people like Marvin Blades, uh, the chief said, you can no longer have your program here because we think that these kids are going to grow up and be anti-police and beat up the police because they know karate. You're teaching them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. Good wow, that, that, did that not happen? That's deep. Because he knows so, karate. Huh? Because yeah. Marvin is teaching the kids karate that these kids are going to grow up and beat us up. So, you know what? That culture and that kind of thinking, when, when you know, Marvin was trying to teach values, and I, you know, that's, that's bad for me. You know, my idea is why would you be against kids? Like if Dave's got a baseball team. What if I came and said, Dave, you're teaching kids values. <laughs> And I don't agree with those values, even though it's for them, you know, and you're trying to get them to think differently. But we were against it. The police department was against it. They kicked him out. So I was bitter. I, you know, I said things. And that's probably why they didn't like me. Yeah, <laughs> because cause you, had an issue. you had an issue with the police. I had issues. I had issues with the way they operate. No justice. I didn't see any justice. And I would say it, and guess what? I got attacked. 
a you, lot. And you were an officer. And I was also. So I didn't trust is, her. Is that because you were speaking out? Because I would say stuff. I would say, hey, why would, because this man is teaching values and he's teaching people karate, that they would want to beat you up. That's like the prisoners nowadays say, we're not going to let the prisoners lift weights. Yeah, right. Yeah. We're not going to let them lift weights because they're getting too strong and they're going to beat us up. Well, what kind of thought is process is that? I can't, I can't get wrap my mind around that. I mean, to me, and the police department thinking that way, you would throw these kids out? So who are you protecting? Who was really being protected? You? Or you say protect and serve, but you're not, <laughs> I don't see, you only, that's only theory. Yeah. Yeah. No uh-huh. practical, yeah. nothing practical, just theory. And I don't like that. And, I, and I, I'll say it tonight, if I see it now, I don't care if you're black, white. I like Dave. Dave was a good officer, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Period. Well, thanks, Dean. You know, it's and and he said they came out to you know Dean came out to me about a year and a half ago. Oh yeah, they came, came out. out to me. I, I, I remember. Down. I remember. Right. 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 I was like, wow. They came out to you. That's, Your own police force. Your own, yeah, the people who are supposed to be looking for justice. And the, I say individuals within. Uh, yeah, individual. We're trying not, to be, not everybody. Yeah, but, we're trying to be opportunistic. Mm-hmm. But but I think I think where where the, the the a lot of the disconnect is coming. Some of the disconnect is coming is that there's always been this belief that we should teach people to respect the uniform or respect right. the badge or whatever. Exactly. No, I, that concept is totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Respect me as a human being. There you go. Every time I go out and do any type of community engagement, anything that I do, I'm wearing plain clothes. Now I'm you know unless I'm ready to go to work or I'm just getting off work. I'm wearing plain clothes because I want that kid to see me all greasy and dirty because I'm smoking on. I'm got my barbecue grill. I didn't seen you like you know what I'm saying. And and I I want that. Oh man, this kid, he's out here playing football with us. He's a human being. He just, you know, that happens to be a police officer, right? You know, you know, call me Marcus, you know, Mm -hmm. or Mister Marcus, you know, you know, don't don't call me officer or Mm -hmm. you know, call me because I have a life outside. I just happen to be a police officer. I just happen to be a police officer, but I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. Respect me as a man. Then there we go. You know, you know what I noticed most of all when I was an officer, if I had on that uniform and white people saw me, mm-hmm. yes, sir. How you doing? When I didn't have that uniform on, guess what? I didn't get the same. I, you know, I know it wasn't the same. Well, uh, I mean, and I understood that. I, I understand what you're saying, and I'm not going to discount that at all. But I am going to to say when I worked, I worked narcotics for ten years, so I had a big afro and <laughs> and crappy shaving, and I didn't smell real nice all the time. But I went in to buy bedroom furniture, and I walked around that store forever, waiting for somebody oh. to wait on me. Right. So it's not right. just right. appearances, right. everything. Yeah. So my wife gets off work, I'm cleaned up, and we go in there, and boom, you're hit up with with every salesperson that wants to to come over and help Mm -hmm. you. So appearances, and that's a bias that we talk about. Right, there you go. Right, so it's there, and just like jogging down the street, just like jogging, just like jogging down the street, and somebody see you in the neighborhood, he ain't supposed to be R delivering furniture. What happened in Oklahoma City? Yeah. You see that? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, but like, why I, are you here? 
I will say this, though. What happened in Georgia caused some really good discussions exactly. within the police department amongst officers. Nothing formal, all social media stuff and some phone calls getting made. But it, 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 it made some people who weren't normally very vocal became very vocal. Marcus, and, oh, go ahead. And, and so it, it, and, and, and it, and it's, it's like, okay, well, there is some difference between us and the way we see things, what we experience, yes, yes, what we is. feel, you know. And so that, that that was, but but it was a conversation. It, it got ugly sometimes, but it's a conversation that needed to happen. It needed to happen. I'm not trying to convince you that you're right and I'm wrong, or you're wrong and I'm right, but it needs to happen. Here's okay. here's what's happening in Tulsa with the ring cameras and the videos right. being. Uh, we're on video now. Right. Yeah. So. There's a new opportunity for law enforcement to gain intelligence and to use that footage for our benefit, mm-hmm. just like right. the public. The public doesn't have the training that we have. Right. And, and also, we had an, a situation on Ring in a neighborhood where they caught car burglars, which seems to be the big thing. And that's a quality of life issue. You break into my car and steal my stuff, I get mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. And someone caught him at 4 o'clock in the morning, chased him down, pulled a gun on him. They pulled a knife. They ran away. Everything's good. But there's an opportunity for us as a police department to take that, put a a montage of who the suspects are, Mm -hmm. and then target them. And so we don't have to be targeting everybody that's out at 3 o'clock in the morning. We can target the people that we need to be watching and and preventing dealing my stuff. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what we want as a police department. So the Georgia thing could have been done a hundred different ways. Mm -hmm. And had we got the police department there to take all those images, and now there's more and more images of things coming out, but put together a tip sheet and say, here are the suspects, and they live here. So at 3 o'clock in the morning, if we could sit there and keep them inside, then then we don't have to do a report in the morning. So there's opportunities in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. There's opportunities with what's going on. You know, if and I'm sorry people die. We can't change that at right. the present time, but we can learn from it, by golly, and it's time to do that. And, and now is a good time for law enforcement mm-hmm. to, to look at that and critique ourselves and say we can get better and we right. have to get better. What, and, and you're still there. When I was there, I heard the term used a lot, bad guy. Okay, bad guy. Looking at a person, until I stop him and I look at his his record, I can't call him a bad guy. But if you everybody everybody that looks a certain way or just thinking that mentality, anybody you stop is a bad guy. Anybody if he's white, he's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Until how do you know he's a bad guy? But you know what I'm saying, Marcus? That right, that, right, that kind right. of that kind of thinking from the police. Well, uh, we we want to stop the bad guys. Well. Who's a bad guy? Mm-hmm. If you're always thinking in your mind that these, I'm a, so you're really afraid, right? If everybody's a bad guy, I mean, that, you know, you know, you know yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, and we, and we, we want to stop bad guys. Yeah, and we, we tr- want, yeah, we, we, are, we have to stop the bad guys. Yeah, and we're trying to get That's away from that. For. You know, yeah, but, but, but who but, is but, a bad guy? Yeah, I understand. I get it. I get it. Who's but like, guy? say, say if I'm a rookie officer, and I, and this is going to be my area. There you go. My area is going to be Pine and Peoria up Thursday Street North. Yeah, I, just the, I just hit the street today. Right. Okay. Brand new I don't street. know who yeah. is who. Exactly. I don't know. 
Bobby Eaton. I don't know. You don't know nobody. I don't know anybody. You love right? And so now I'm starting to stop people and stop cars and write tickets and take people to jail. And okay, I'm going to stop you last week. You cool. And okay. Yeah, but I'm trying to figure out who you are. You know what I'm saying? And so those things happen. It's almost like if, if you in your neighborhood call in and say, hey, I got a problem with speeders in my neighborhood. Right. Okay. And if it's a big enough problem, they send out the traffic guys to write tickets. Mm-hmm. Everybody getting tickets. Good mm-hmm. guys and the bad guys. Everybody getting tickets. You driving ten over, five over, you get that's the ticket. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and that and that's what happens sometimes. You know, and so we, we, we're trying to get the younger officers well, I mean the younger officers get it. It's the old officer the problem, to be honest with you. Really? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because cause you're setting your ways. I mean, mm-hmm. think about it, you know, how do you I'm 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 fifty years old. I mm-hmm. mean, you wanna get me to change something? Mm-hmm. What? I've been doing it like this for twenty five years. Mm-hmm. Now you want me to change it? Mm-hmm. What? Old dog new tricks. Huh? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so and that's what you because you can take a youngster and train him up to be what you want him to be right. or how he should be. Right. But a guy who's been here for a while, a little bit more difficult to do that. You know, a little bit more difficult to do that. And so you just but just got to keep investing the time and keep investing the energy and in, in trying to get that change. That you said education. You know, that's what it all comes back to educating officers on what the community expects from you. Okay. Because it goes both ways. It's not just what what you should be giving us, you know. It's not just how you should act when I pull you over. It's how I should act right. when I pull there you, you over. There you it go. It goes both ways. It does. It goes both ways. How I should act. Yeah. And, it's, ed- and it's education. You know, it's education. And like I said, you, it's they, and they said it's perfect. This is the perfect time to educate everybody because everybody has a stake or, or has some skin in the game. Everybody does. If you work up here, you work north. Anywhere you work, you have skin in the game. If you work for Quick Trip, skin in the game, make right. Quick Trip. There you mm-hmm. go. You know, mm-hmm. you work for Sonic. If you work, you know, Corey with Cajun Boy, Daryl at Sweet Lisa's, um, uh, the the uh, sandwich shop. I mean, you got skin in the game because that's where you work. Or that's your business. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I mean, just we just got to keep putting the work in. You got to do that. You got to put have the to. work in. You have to. And, and I, you know, Dave said the word educate. Mm-hmm. And we got to educate, you know, in more ways than one. Uh, there know? it is. Dave, baseball. Dean is out in the community all the time. I do different things. You got your 100 black men. You, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Reed's program. I mean, you mm-hmm. have so many things, things. that are going on mm-hmm. um, that, you know, everybody, when everybody does a little bit, it, it, make, it makes up into a lot. That it's being done. Mm-hmm. Well, if I could ask a question. Ask. ask. Go ahead, ask. What is the end goal of these seeds that you're planting? I mean, that you see. The, the end goal is, is what I see when I see Corey. You right. know, there you we go. had that adversarial relationship that we had twenty some odd years ago to business the relationship man. that we have now. Right, and he's a business you know, man. That 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 yeah, is he's an entrepreneur. Yeah. He's contributing yeah. to this society. From a department standpoint, the younger guys that are coming up now, the seeds that we're planting, the younger officers who are out here in the schools. Uh, the Jared Uptons, even the, no, Jared's been on for a while. Yeah, he's been guys, on for a minute. Guys that have been on 
for two or three years, four or five years, the young guys, guys in the academy now. And I say guys, I've been all inclusive, male and female. But when they are at my seniority on the police department, and I'm long gone, I'm long gone, then these kids that they're encountering now, they have that same relationship that I have that I met 20-plus years ago. That's, that's, what, that's the end goal. What Marx is saying is exactly right, because my encounter with uh, Manuel Dickens mm-hmm. at McLean made Dean Finley, helped make Dean Finley, because I saw him as somebody, and he said, hey, you, you got to go to class. You got to do this. You got to do this. And I started thinking, I said, now I'm in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I want to be a police officer. And I joined the military and with that in mind. And now I employ people. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not shooting people in, in the community. I'm not doing things. But because of that seed, like you said, mm-hmm. and he was a police officer. Well, and, and let's don't forget Manny's daughter, Debbie. Debbie? Oh, yeah, Debbie. <laughs> she, she was a police officer. Yeah, yeah. 20, uh-huh. 25 years? Yeah. Okay. I trained him when she was a rookie. Yeah. There was never a dull moment. <laughs> but, Bobby, what, what, do you, what do you see in, in the B.O.B.? Yeah. What, what's the end goal for, for this? I mean, you said it a lot, but, but I'm kind the of... The end goal, from my standpoint, being here, right here in the community and talking to, to everybody in the community, uh, I see education as being, and when I say education, not just school education, but education as a community and as in culture and go back I'd like to see us go back to the Black Wall Street way of life. You know, that means that we built up our communities. We spent our dollars within our communities. We uh, we just helped each other. It takes a village to raise a child. And that we got the discipline going back and start the help aspect. If you've seen uh, Miss Johnson, she's 86 years old and her grass is high. Tell us just go down there and cut it. You know what I mean? If you've seen uh, Cynthia and she got two boys, go, hey, Cynthia, let me let me get your boys for the weekend or something for a couple of days, a couple of hours or whatever to invest something in. Train them up on skill set, how to start back, right. you know, hammering and, and painting and, and plumbing and electrical so we can have those skill sets back in our community that we've lost. Because a lot of our young men, they don't even know how to change a flat on a tire. I mean, I mean, you know, a flat on a car. I'm sorry. But we got to get that back. And once we get that back, because everybody can't be a technician, you know, on a computer, so you got to have some skilled workers. And when we get that back going in our community and taking back our property and start building, then we can have economic development and growth. Mm-hmm. So when Johnny gets out the penitentiary and comes back to the neighborhood, he may have possible can find him a job. And he don't have to be in a community where he can't even go to work. I can't find no job in my community. He's victimized. victimized. He got to go back to the hood, you know, and start repeat just what he just got out of. So we got to have programs. We need mental health institutions over here in our community. We ain't got no place to where we can send uh, right over here where we can send drug addicts and alcoholics to rehab, you know, right here in our community when we needed a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know, mental health. We got things going on. People walking around pushing baskets, hanging out at car washes and things like that, just lost. And we have we have to go in that direction so we can help these people. I got a few drug addicts come over here. 
to talk to me about it. I've made phone calls and arrangements for them to go find some help. Single parent mothers have come through this door. Me and Ramal and Dean and all of us, we've talked to them. You know, mm-hmm. we have to educate and we have to not only talk about it, we got to be about it. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, and sometimes the education takes place at one o'clock in the morning. Exactly. In the Quickshire parking lot. You know, when, right. when somebody is down their luck, you know, or you come across a teenage kid and you just have a conversation with him. Yeah. You know, and that, that's where that, it, doesn't, it doesn't always take place in a form at Rudisil. No, or, it don't. It or don't. somewhere else, no. you know, because a lot of times those kids that come to those things, you know, those are the kids that are going to be probably yes, more right. likely going to be right. successful. Yeah, exactly. But that kid I see hanging out at Quick mm-hmm. Trip, you know, bumping his music real loud. Right. Like, hey, man, you know, uh, it's one o'clock in the morning. You know, you keep playing music that loud. This, 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 and this potentially happen to you between here and you getting home. Yeah. So let's strike a conversation. Mm-hmm. And let me give you a little bit of something. So now the next time I see you, I give you a little bit more. And I give you a little bit more. Give and then me, now we develop a relationship. And now that keeps going, you know, to where that's when a, I see you, it's kind of, right. it's kind of like. Right, exactly. You know, yeah, that's why I love like a Tiffany Crutcher because she's out in the trenches and she's doing work. You know, she she's going everywhere. She came over here and donated to the Juice Radio Show, mm-hmm. all them youth and stuff like that. She was over at a Morning Star, just like your wife, who out in the they're, they're out in the trenches doing things. And we need more African American males to get involved yeah. and step up. The women is out there trying to do it, they're putting the work in. They're they putting the work. Women is putting the work in, man. You know, and I sit back and I say, wow, the women doing all the work. Where the guys at? You know what I mean? So. We need the guys to get involved, get join up, volunteer. Even if you can just put in two hours a week, I don't right, care. Right. And that's a minimum to volunteer for something. You know you what? Know? When when I was a rookie officer, um, my training officer had a lot of experience. Dave, uh, I forgot his name, last name, but anyway, Wright. Uh, Dave know, Wright was it Dave Wright? Right, he's still on. He's still on. I think. But anyway, no. Wow, uh, I was being trained. I was being okay. I was being trained. Y'all might not know. <laughs> I, I was being trained, and uh, I stopped the car. Uh, I was a rookie. He's uh, my training officer, and uh, the guy had a warrant, mm-hmm. and he had two kids in the car. And uh, he said to me, "He said, what you gonna do?" And I said, being a rookie, thinking I had to impress him, I said, "Well, I'm gonna take him to jail, and I'm gonna take these kids to." Uh, to the shelter. And he looked at me and he said, no, you're not. <laughs> oh, is that what he said? He said, no, no, no you're not. not huh? No, you're not. He said, he looked at his driver's like He said, he lives right over there. And we're at 36th Street North in Peoria. He lives in Comanche, uh-huh. which is right there. He right. said, we're going to drive over there to his apartment. We're going <laughs> to knock on the door. Okay. We're going to find out who's there. And you're going to give those kids to who, who's over there. And he's got warrants. So you're going to come back. <laughs> you're going to come back. And if he doesn't take it, you're going to warn him and tell him, come back. And I'm going to get you if you don't have these tickets taken care of. And you know what? Just because you can do something don't mean you always have to right then. And, you know, police don't think that way. You don't have to, you don't have so, to ruin somebody's life or make them some poverty and put them in poverty because they don't have the money. If they did, they wouldn't be. I had an officer call me Saturday. Luke Flanagan called me Saturday. Stopped in. Luke was a white officer. Solid as they come. Okay. 
But I don't think he had maybe had one, but he had some issues with just couldn't keep up with his fine and stuff like that. And so they had questions about the expungement expo that my wife right, and, right. and, and the go. bunch there of attorneys put on. And so he put me on speakerphone and I was explaining them the process or whatever. And but see a guy like Luke right. gets it. I mean he, he gets it. But then I've come across a, a rookie. I just wrote this lady six tickets. Exactly. But you know what? I'm going to raise my hand. I've done that before. I'm going to admit it. As a rookie, I've done that. Is there a quote in writing tickets? No. It's not a quote. No. no. But you know what happens is you want to make the warrants list. One day I want to be in a traffic unit, so I got to do, you know, one day I want to be in the warrants unit, so I got to do this. One day I want to do this. And so you may enforce with a more, when I say a heavy hand, I mean, okay, you know, if I pull you over and I can write you four tickets, yeah, you get four tickets. Now, the other you day, don't have to. you don't have to, but you probably will. You know, if those I are got you. Goals. I understand. I stopped the lady. Uh, I didn't actually stop. I'm sitting up here at Virgin and MLK. And I'm getting ready to turn south on MLK. And I couldn't go because, you know, cars coming north and south. So she was behind me. And I'm, I drive an unmarked car. She hung the horn at me. And I'm like, I can't go. You don't see these cars because I can see them coming. So she moves over to the right side of me. And when it was time to go, we both made a left turn. That's not a left turn lane. That's a right turn only lane. Right, exactly. So she zooms past me, and I hit my lights. I pull over. And so I get out of my car, and I tap on the, on the glass, and she's looking straight ahead. She's nervous. I said, now, you be honest. What was the first thing you thought when I cut my lights on? And she said what she thought. I was like, well, you being honest, you have a nice day. Exactly. Just be more patient You don't have time. to do that. Be a little bit more patient next time. Right. You know, she, she didn't like, have a ticket book with you. Don't steal my thunder, Dave. Don't steal my thunder. That's what did give you life. Yeah, they, they did. They did give me life. But young officers have to know. But they don't know that, Just because you can do something that you don't always have to. And that's what I was saying. You know, I'm not going to go back into that. But when I seen what I saw, I'm thinking, well, I wouldn't have did that way. Mm-hmm. You know, because experience. Mm-hmm. But when you hire people, some people shouldn't be policemen. Mm-hmm. Some people should not be policemen. Yeah. I knew a gentleman, a young guy, very young, 19 years old, who took a lady to the movies out south. And he took her to the movies and they smoked a joint in the car. Right? Before they went in, then they smoked another one when they came out. They were coming down Riverside, and the police pulled them over. And uh, I guess he smelled the marijuana. And uh, so he ended up telling the girl to get out the car and took the gentleman to get drug tested and took him to the jail and locked him up. You know, he didn't find any marijuana, anything like that. But this gentleman that they locked up, he got put in the system. Right. You know. There you go. He got put in the system for a tail light, and this this officer put him in the system. Now he's got a DUI, you know, you know what I mean? Right. In right. the system, got a job, he works every day, and all of that. When and I'm not saying I'm not encouraging you to smoke in your car and ride down the street smoking marijuana, but we got all these dispensaries around here, and we got tons of people doing stuff. And so, but you can't break the law, right? You can't break. It was foolish on his part be doing it in his ride. But I just think that um, the officer could have had a little bit more discretion. Look here, discretion. Discretion. Look here. I know you're smoking. I know you're so-and-so. You know, 
going to let you go this time. You know what I mean? I ain't going to put you in the system. I ain't going to drug right. test you and have you peeing in cups and stuff like that. You know, but maybe he was trying to teach him a lesson. But it's a hard lesson. Yeah, Bobby, and Bobby sometimes you, know, you got to teach that lesson. Sometimes, sometimes, you, sometimes you got to teach that but, lesson. But you know what? Herm Callens mm-hmm. called me one morning, me and a group of guys a guy. in a car uh-huh. smoking weed. <laughs> okay. And he got us, took us to the. It was called Reefer back then. Yeah, well, Reefer. We went to the office and they didn't arrest us. He he said, "You guys don't do this, you know." And right, but because he didn't do, didn't stick a record on. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, he didn't stick a record right. on. It made me. I understand. You understand? Yeah. yeah. We've had a great conversation here, man. As we come to the close of this show, right here, we're gonna have to do this again. You'll keep the information flowing. Uh, come back and stuff like that. Thank you, Marcus Harper, Dave Walker. Bobby, I appreciate it. Dean Finley. I'm at home. You're at home right here. <laughs> All right, guys. I want to thank you guys for coming out. Keep in mind that we're here every Monday, uh, Wednesday, and Friday. Monday and Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, and on Saturdays from 12 to 2 p.m. on Saturdays. KBOB 89.9 FM, and also go to our website, you guys, KBOB899.com. You know, go there and check it out. If you have any ideas and things that you like to talk about, you can eatonmusic2 at gmail.com. Again, that's E-A-T-O-N-M-U-S-I-C at gmail.com. So, hey, we want you to take care, you know, of everything. Until the next time, we want you to have a good one. Take care. <laughs>